From KMUW Studios in Wichita, Kansas, this is Books and Whatnot. I'm Suzanne Perez, KMUW's resident book reviewer. And I'm Beth Goulet, host of KMUW's Marginalia podcast. This episode was recorded on February 10th, 2022. Any references to new or forthcoming and the like are relative. How are you doing today, Beth? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm um, a little froggy, so if listeners are <laughs> thinking I sound a little different, that's um, that's true. I do. I've been sort of, <laughs> sort of struggling with my voice this week. Do but not adjust your radio. No, and it's really weird. You know, I haven't been on radio regularly for long, and it's so weird to know that if you ha- are struggling with any kind of laryngitis or froggy throat, it's like... This is affecting my work. (laughs) That's so true. It's been, yeah, it's been kind of a challenge. But anyway, but um, how was your reading month? Well, it was a short month. We've only had like 20 days since our last recording, if I count correctly. Right. I'm looking at your list, though, and thinking you had some big honking books on there. Well, I'm just going to talk about them. I did not necessarily read them Oh, okay, okay. Because, yeah, we we are on sort of a shortened schedule, but we're getting back on the pace. Yes, we are. So that's good. Okay. Um, so kick us off? yeah, sure. You know, I wanted to kick us off with a, a sort of review of something you have talked about. And it was actually one of your favorite books of the year. Um, and that's the Anthropocene reviewed by John Green. So because of Beth's recommendation and the recommendation of many other people, you know, obviously, this is a, a highly regarded book. I listened to this on audio from Libro FM. It was fantastic. I really, really loved it. Uh, John Green, I've read other of his works. I've read uh, Fault in Our Stars and Looking for Alaska and his young adult novels. I'm really, really a fan of his Turtles All the Way Down. Um, But this one, as Beth has said before, I'm not going to dwell on it, but it's basically he takes sort of everyday life things and gives them a rating, which is funny for this particular episode of our podcast. We're going to talk a little bit later about ratings. Um, But he gives everything a rating from one to five stars. But the audio of this was fantastic. What surprised me about it was it's one of those books where you learn a lot. Obviously, he does his research and makes things that aren't really interesting very interesting. It was also very moving and poignant in so many places. I mean, I was like moved to tears several times. Most notably, he talks about Amy Krauss Rosenthal, who Mm -hmm. they were really, really good friends. One of my favorite writers died tragically of cancer not long ago. But I just had to share this little weird Twilight Zone bookish moment I had that I think you will appreciate. So I am listening to John Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed on audio. I go to, and I'll talk about this book a little later, but I go to an author event at the Wichita Public Library with John Darnielle, who is the author of three novels. His latest is Devil House, which I'll talk about. So anyway, I've never heard of John Darnielle before. He is lead singer for the Mountain Goats. I've since, you know, looked him up and listened to his music. It's fabulous. Um, But he was very new to me. I only went because, you know, it's an author event. He's in person in town, and that hasn't happened for a long time. So I'm there at the author event. I, you know, am just enamored with John Darniel. He talks about his books. I go back home. So I'm reading Devil House in print and then listening to the Anthropocene Reviewed in audio. I go back to my audio book, and the next chapter he talks about the mountain goats. Oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah. And how the mountain goats are his favorite band and how the lyrics just speak to his life. And it was just like what in the world? What are the chances? But I think I've had that happen before, where one book mentions another. Anyway, I thought you'd appreciate that. I do. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm glad you liked the book. Oh, you know, I he also it. has a podcast called The Anthropocene Reviewed. 
whether you read this book or listen to the podcast. Yeah, I highly recommend it. And he's one of my favorite people. Uh, he's great. And also, I should note that the audio book, I was following along because I also have a print copy of the book and making notes in it. But um, the audio book included some extra essays. Oh. Yeah, so that was interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So what uh, what's first on your list? Okay, first on my list is a book called Small World by Jonathan Evison. Jonathan Evison, on the eve of his 50th birthday, decided he was going to write the great American novel. And the result was Small World. This is kind of epic in scope. It's 400 and a little more than 450 pages. There are so many just individual stories told about... You know, you have this 15-year-old boy who's almost seven foot tall, and he's a great basketball player. And, and then we follow his mom, Brianna Flowers, and we, everything she has to do, her struggle to make sure he stays on the up and up and doesn't get pulled in, sucked into any bad crowds. You know, 100 years earlier, we follow this family who comes to the United States from Ireland because they are chasing the American dream. We follow the railroad as it, you know, it starts on the East Coast and, um, starts on the West Coast and where it meets in the middle. We see some Chinese immigrants in San Francisco. So we meet all of these people at different stages in their life. They are all moving toward something or getting away from something. They are all leaving and migrating to different situations. And then they do, you know, we finally, we find out that they are all on this one train that goes along the coast in the Pacific Northwest. So it was um, it was just really fun. It was a fun novel. I love the cover. I'm looking at the cover right now. The typeface on the cover is very cool. Yeah. Um, it does look like an epic. What is it with all the long books this year, Beth? I don't know. <laughs> They're all like 500 pages and more. I don't more. like it. I don't either. It's like, <laughs> I mean, if I can, I don't know. I just need to need to wrap my brain around getting back into big books. But so many of them recently that I've been excited about. Cloud Cuckoo Land, To Paradise, and uh, Still Life. Zeki and Still Life. And yeah. yeah. They're I all was, just and now This and uh, Great Circle. I'm thinking of all these monster books. Maybe, I don't know, what is it about the pandemic that made people write, write more, write longer? I don't know. Well, they were well, writing these before then, probably. Yes, but I'm wondering, um, that, like, what happens with the editing process? I wonder, too. It did not exist. <laughs> I don't know. You, did you like this book, though? I yes, mean, you, I did you like, feel it. like it. it did, did it read like a, you know, 500-page book, or did it move along more quickly? It moved along. Now, I, I read it while I, you know, I, I do the double, the, the listen and read at the same time. So that always helps move it along because even if, you know, you, you can't become distracted by something else if, if you have a voice in your head. For sure. I love that, too. And that's, yeah, that's a good little reading tip if people are able to do that. Right. Listen and read. And before I go on, I do want to mention, so I I spoke with Jonathan Evison about Small World for the Marginalia podcast. And since I had him, I wanted to ask him about a previous novel of his called Lawn Boy, because it, and you can speak better to this, but it is being challenged all over the country. Right. It's on all the lists. Yes. It's on all of the lists. And so I asked him about it. And here's what he had to say. Well, I mean, uh, to me, it's quite obvious that the entire uh, phenomenon is just a political straw man because these people are not actually reading the books before they're challenging them. They're finding, they're finding, uh, you know, paragraphs to read out of context. And this is a way for, for the Republicans to what they've turned it into the, is this sort of dog whistle 
for uh, conservative parents to say, you know, the school board's trying to tell you what we can teach our kids and they're trying to take your voice out of the classroom and and they're you know what i mean it's 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 obvious what they're trying to do they're trying to rile up a bunch of parents who if these parents are so interested well why aren't they on the ptl why are they skipping their you know parent teacher meetings why aren't they at meet the teacher night you know so uh as somebody who received a lot of death threats because of this and and just people saying awful things about my kids and blah, blah, blah. I, I, it was obvious to me that not a single one of them read the book. I mean, they were talking about the same miscontextualized uh, three sentences that some lady read on a TikTok video. And, and still, even, even in the context that she read them, it, it's, it's, it's untrue. They're try, they, they, they glommed onto this idea that there's a, a 30-year-old realtor uh, having uh, fellatio with a nine-year-old, that's not the case. It is a it is a 23-year-old protagonist remembering an experience he had an, as a nine-year-old, just innocent sexual experience. And the person that he had it with just happens to be a big realtor now. So they took that and, and, and just twisted it around and ran with it and called the book Pedophilia, which is completely untrue. And, and to some of these people's credits, I've actually heard from them and they go, you know what, I read this book and, and, and I'm kind of ashamed to say that I, you know, I read it with the intent that I wanted to burn it. And, 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 and now I see that this is a good novel. I think at the end of the day, they don't like uh, non-binary, non-white protagonists who have uh, sexual experiences at church youth group meetings, and I don't blame them. That threatens a lot that is sacred to them, but this is modern realism. And, uh, you know, my book was not intended to, to shock anybody. I mean, truthfully, I mean, my job is to rattle cages on some level, and there's so many cages I wanted to rattle with that book, you know, wealth disparity, racial assumptions, all these things sexual identity, but pornography was not one of them. I did not write the book to shock anybody. And it's really not a shocking book, I don't think. I mean, I, I don't think I did anything in there in terms of preteen sexual uh, experimentation, except that maybe it's non-binary that uh, YA authors haven't been, have been doing for, you know, 70 years, 80 years. So I, I don't, I don't, it's just a straw man. It's, you know, it, it was terrible to be threatened, but at the end of the day, hey, man, it's kind of cool to be banned. And I sold a bunch of books. And, you know, I noticed that a lot of the books have it, it, they've been undergone independent review and have been put back in the libraries. And I'm kind of like, damn it, I kind of wanted to keep them out. <laughs> you know what I mean? That way they got to go. If they can't get them at the library, it means they got to go out and buy them. And that's putting bread on my table. You know what I mean? God love the libraries. But I mean, you know. All right. That's very interesting. The one woman who read it did not read it accurately uh -huh. and misrepresented it. So any other person who challenged it just glommed onto what she yep. said. Yep. So you have to, I mean, in my opinion, I had to I had to reacquaint myself with Lon Boy just so I could talk to him about it because yeah. it's not fair to challenge something that you've not read. So anyway, Evison writes a very specific type of book. Um, I wouldn't call it Dickensian, but you know, all of his characters are are like the people who are marginalized. And so that is kind of Dickensian. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So they're, yeah. It's yeah he said he's been writing the same book his whole life, but, you know, just under different titles. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, I look forward to reading this. I, 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 I haven't read any of his novels, I'm embarrassed to say, but he also has the, um, the North Cascades one that I'm kind of interested in, the one that came out. Is that out. west of here? 
No, no, no. I think it's called oh, Legend. Oh, it, it just came out like six months before yeah, this one. And Legend. I asked him about it. Yeah. And he said, yeah, that poor book. <laughs> it I was know, suffering it under the shadow of this one. And, it, well, yeah, and it came out, um, yeah, during the pandemic. But, yeah. you know, um, folks over at uh, Watermark Books in Wichita love, love that novel. He's been to Wichita, I think, at least four times. Yeah. I, the book that you're speaking about is the only one of his I, I do not own. He wrote um, The Revised Fundamentals of Caregiving. He wrote West of Here, which is kind of epic in scope. And This Is Your Life, Harriet Chance. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I that, guess I do not that, have All About Lulu. Okay. Wow, he's really, he does have quite yeah. a few under his belt. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. So, so very, yeah. Small World by Jonathan Evison, as well as Lawn Boy by Jonathan Evison. Cool. Well, my next book I listened to, again, on Libro FM a while back and did a review, if you'd like to see it, on KMUW.org. Uh, but I did want to mention it here in the podcast because I just loved it so much. Uh, and that's Taste, My Life Through Food by Stanley Tucci, a celebrity memoir slash cookbook. I had no clue. I had never seen Big Night, the movie, uh, which apparently is Stanley Tucci's, like, homage to cooking and food. Oh, interesting. So I, I, I need to see that. I made a mental note as I was listening to this book to watch that movie. But um, it's fantastically written and put together. It's some recipes. It's the story of his life growing up uh, as in an Italian-American family. His parents were immigrants uh, from Italy. And just sort of the amazing role that food played in his life. I mean... Everything from his never wanting to eat over his friend's house because it was never as good a food as he would have at his own to um, just becoming, you know, a, a cook in his own right. I mean, and, and traveling. And he played Julia Child's husband, Paul, in the movie Julie and Julia. Um, so he's had this sort of food adjacent um, career in acting, which is also interesting. He has a, a sense of humor that comes through, um, just really interesting episodes. He name drops just shamelessly but it's also kind of funny it's like oh you know when I was in Paris with Meryl Streep <laughs> blah 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 but it's well, he's just... been in several movies with her oh for sure because he was also in the Devil Wears Prada yes with her. that's right so anyway it is it's fantastic he also talks a little bit I had not realized that he had a medical issue um, he actually dealt with a, a cancer uh, issue uh, in his mouth and throat and that affected his taste for a oh, long time and so there's that sort of aspect to the book as well he's um Remarried, he, he lost his wife to cancer, and he remarried um, Emily Blunt's sister. Felicity, yeah. Yes, and who uh, is British, and he has lots of funny things to say about how she does or does not cook things well. And anyway, it is just, it's a delight. And I know we use the word delightful a lot, but this one really is. It's Taste, uh, My Life Through Food by Stanley Tucci. Well, have you watched any of the, the CNN show Searching for Italy? No. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, I need to. I love food. You know, I mean, I, I bring a lot of food books onto this podcast. I love I love reading about food, and I love food. <laughs> so, yeah, I need to check that out. Yeah, you do. Okay, so my next one is a book about food. It's called Love and Saffron by Kim Fay. And I did interview Kim as well, and that podcast will have dropped by the time this one does. Okay, so it is an epistolary novel between a young girl who's 28 or so, and an older woman who is 58, 59, she, her, the young woman, Joan, writes a fan letter to Imogen, who 
writes a, a column about the Pacific Northwest. It's called um, Life on the Island or Life Summers on the Island or something like that. And she, she writes a, a fan letter and she includes a package of saffron in it because she said, well, you said you when you cooked your mussels, you did this. And I was going to ask, have you ever tried saffron? And so she sends this. And so it becomes this this exploration of world food through their writing letters back and forth. And one challenges the other to, you know, be more more experimental in in the like we'll say, well, have you tried garlic? Because garlic wasn't a thing in the Pacific Northwest. So I mean wow. that would that one shocked then? me, right? Yeah. So they um they become more experimental with with Mexican cuisine, with Italian cuisine, and it's just really fascinating how their friendship grows from this one fan letter. How cool. And so it's um you know, it, it was a balm for her to write it, but it also becomes that for the reader as well. So comfort writing yes. equals comfort reading. That's right. And, you know, saffron is so beautiful too. <laughs> yes. Just as a as an element. I just love that idea of sending that through the mail. Wasn't Love and Saffron the indie next pick for uh, for February? Yes, it's the number one pick. Wow. And sh- she said that was meaningful for her as well because she used to be a bookseller at Elliott Bay Book Company in Seattle. And Which so I plan to visit right? this year. Yeah, yes. There you go. We we need to talk about bookstore visits as Ooh, well yes. sometime. But mm-hmm. she, you know, that was just really special for her to have so many bookstores nominate this book as their favorite for February. That's very cool. We have some, some theme uh, lines running through this already. We have the we Pacific do. Northwest. We have food. <laughs> All right. My next one, uh, again, I read a, a little while ago, but I haven't mentioned on the podcast. So I definitely want to because it was actually one of my favorite reads of last year. And that is... Fight Night by Miriam Taves. Um, And Taves, by the way, is spelled (laughs) T-O-E-W-S. This is a Canadian writer. She also wrote Women Talking, which I reviewed. Oh, that's right. For KMUW. And it was a much, much different type of novel. But what I can say about this is the characters in this novel, and we'll talk a little bit later about what constitutes a a five-star book for me, and one of them is just memorable characters. And this novel, the premise is there's three generations of women living together in Canada. So it's Elvira is the sassy uh, grandmother, and then it's her daughter and also her granddaughter, Swiv, uh, which is short for something. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, uh, they're all living together, uh, no men in their lives because Swiv's father is out of the picture. Um, Swiv has actually gotten in trouble at school for fighting because she's got, you know, a sassy personality and she actually, like, stood up for herself once and punched someone in the face and got expelled. So now she's basically getting homeschooled by her grandmother, which is a just stitch. This story, I'm not going to give too much away, but it's a journey. You know, the grandmother and, and granddaughter take a journey together. It's an emotional journey. It's got, I mean, just laugh out loud moments, just like I said, characters you will not forget. It's not a long novel. It's about 250 pages. Definitely literary fiction. I want to say to readers, too, the cover is odd. (laughs) If you judge books by the cover, don't judge this one by the cover. I thought it was a very strange (laughs) cover. Um, But it's incredibly funny and heartwarming. It took me a bit, I will say, to get used to her writing style because the dialogue all runs together and there's no traditional quote structure, Mm -hmm. which can really make me crazy sometimes. But it didn't take me long, I'll say, in this one to get used to it. Once I did, I was off and running. All the characters are just super believable and, uh, like I said, just sassy and great. This, too, would be a wonderful book club pick, I think. 
for discussion. So anyway, that is Fight Night by Miriam Taves. The next three that I'm going to speak about, I'm actually in the process of reading and wrapping them up because I'm going to visit with Marlon James in, on February 17th. And so he, he has a book coming out. It's the second of his trilogy. And it, the book coming out is called Moon Witch Spider King. That follows Black Leopard, Red Wolf. And so I am reading those in anticipation of my interview with him. Marlon James, people might know him. He won the 2015 Man Booker Prize for A Brief History of Seven Killings. Which is not brief. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) This is a monster of a book as well. It's got a big old yellow cover. I can see it in my mind's eye. I did not read it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is um, this is kind of like to me, and I'm probably completely wrong, but I feel like he's writing the like the African epic. You you go on all of these heroes' journeys, these epic journeys, and y- apparently you have to you know cross a river to go to the world of the dead, and he just does that immediately. So I'm assuming this is like his heroes' epic journey. So we'll and he's see. A, I'll talk. And he's a black author, right? Yeah, he's Jamaican. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's Jamaican. And from everything I've heard about. Um, Black Leopard, Red Wolf. I've heard a lot of comparisons to American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Now, I haven't read that, but we know you have a connection with it. I don't oh, know if well, you want to yeah. share that now or not. <laughs> one, no, one, one day soon when we're talking about <laughs> weird bookish serendipity, I will bring that up. But yeah, American Gods is one of my absolute favorite novels. But I have heard comparisons to that and just that, yeah, that this is sort of African mythology and right. folklore. Um, but yeah, a good, I mean... Good luck and have fun reading those. I think you're going to love them. Well, and in my research, I also discovered that he has a podcast. It's called Marlon and Jake Read Dead People. And here's the (laughs) description. A podcast hosted by Marlon James and his editor, Jake Morrissey, executive editor at Riverhead Books. In each episode, Marlon and Jake give their unfiltered and hilarious takes on the authors that readers know, love, and debate. Dickens versus Trollope, Alcott versus Ingalls Wilder. From ancient myths through science fiction, they cover it all. And they're honest, brutally, unsparingly honest, which is why the authors have to be dead. Oh, So I think that's going to be yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. I didn't realize he was a podcaster. Awesome. Me neither. Well, that's going to be epic for you to talk to him. I, coming yes, right up. I'm, a, I'm so afraid. Oh, don't be. You've talked to so <laughs> many famous people. Come on. Okay, um, I guess I'll go to my next one, which yeah. is a backlist. Um, Challenger Deep by Neil Schusterman. This came out in 2015. I read it for an, a number of reasons. The main one being that the Read ICT Challenge for 2022, category number 11, is a book that deals with mental illness. So I was thinking about, and there are so many great choices in this category, but my daughter Hannah had read Challenger Deep uh, while she was in high school. And I remember her loving and raving about it and like pressing it into my hands and saying, you must read this. And of course, I just sort of like went, uh, okay, I will, of course. And it sort of got put on a back burner and, and never read by me. So I thought this is the perfect opportunity to get back to that. It is told from the point of view of a young man. His name is Caden Bosch, and he's a teenager with schizophrenia. And it's told from his point of view, and it alternates storylines between what's in his mind and Challenger Deep has to do with this sort of marine adventure he goes on to look for this treasure. And his, you know, these characters that are so real to him in his brain alternating with what's going on 
with him in real life, with his parents being concerned about him, his friends wondering if he's on drugs, his, you know. The whole journey is, I was texting my daughter as I was reading this, going, oh my gosh, this book is so exhausting to read in that way, because you can really feel it, the pacing, the just descriptions. It's just like you can really, really, you're put in that position where you can feel how exhausting this is to Hmm. live this kind of life. And it reminded me in that way of A Curious Incident of a Dog in the Nighttime, the book about autism, told from an autistic boy's point of view. Anyway, so it was... It was fantastically told. One note I will add is that in the print edition of the book, or in all editions of the book, I guess, there are illustrations by Neil Schusterman's son Hmm. who struggled with mental illness. He says this in his author's notes and in the blurbs about the book. So he's writing from a place that he knows as a parent. His own kids have struggled with this. And I just think it's a really important book and timely and highly, highly recommended. It gives you a really interesting perspective and a look into something not a lot of people experience. So that's Challenger Deep by Neil Schusterman. Very cool. Yeah. My next one, I meant to look this up before I got here and I didn't. So I'm just going to say this is my thousand books to read before you die. Check off. You're doing so well on that. Carly Cooper, who works with me in the marketing department, she's one of the producers of this podcast. I'm looking at her through the booth right now and waving. She and I are taking a class at Wichita State, and it's critical studies in film, and we are concentrating on Shakespeare. Shakespeare in film. But, you know, to understand it, you have to make sure you read the play as well. So, Henry V. Oh, wow. One of the Henrys. One of the Henrys. <laughs> Hal. I like to call him Hal. Hal. Oh, wow. So then you're going to watch the movie? Yes. And do you pronounce his name Kenneth Branagh? The Irish actor? He's the Harry <laughs> Potter I- guy. That Irish She's guy. looking it up. <laughs> and I don't even know the name of the character. I mean, I saw the movie, but I don't know this c- character's name that he played in Harry Potter. He was married. I found out he was married to Emma Thompson, divorced her, and had a thing with Hel- is it Helen Bonham Carter. Wow. Yeah. So- Maybe they got together during Harry Potter. I don't know. Because she's, you know, um, what's her name? She's Bellatrix Lestrange. That's who she plays in Harry Potter films. Was he Gilderoy Lockhart? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (sighs) Score for Suzanne. (laughs) Harry Potter trivia. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't read the books. Really? I'm stuck in number three. And for the longest time, I just refused to read them because I didn't need to. There were so many other books that I could read and help people who came into the bookstore. Nobody needed me to sell them on Harry Potter. Not a single person. There's different reasons for reading, though. Right. Well, so (laughs) I started reading one and then two, and I'm in the middle of three. Really? Wow, that's interesting. My favorite, I think it really picks up at four. So, but you know, I am not into series now. I only like was into that series because my kids were, and then we sort of got into it together. So, but I, I do love the Harry Potter series, and I always sort of am jealous of people who are just starting out in it, you know. But now, I won't say I won't start a series, but I'm very hesitant because that's a commitment. Yeah. You have to feel like, yeah. But, you know, obviously you can start a series and not go on. But anyway. Like I'm stuck on book five of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, I haven't read that series. I think I've read maybe the first two. Because Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe is not the first one. 
the magician's the, nephew. Right. But he, d- he didn't write it first, but he wants you to read it first. Uh, oh, there's that whole, yes, there's that whole debate about whether you read them by publication date right. or actual plot. Right. But C.S. Lewis wants you to read it first. Wants you to read which first? The magician's nephew. Okay. I did not. <laughs> You have to Sorry. start over. Sorry, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and then I read The Magician's Nephew. But okay. Anyway. So, yeah, we read the play. We watch the movie. We are watching two versions of Henry V. One is uh, the Kenneth Branagh version, and then the other one is like a 1944 version by Laurence Olivier. Ooh, Laura, Sir Laurence Olivier. Yeah. Cool. You're going to know so much about Shakespeare when you get done with this degree. I'm going to know so much about Shakespeare when it comes time to take the test, and then I will forget it. <laughs> <laughs> like we do with our books that we yeah. read. Yeah. Um, Did you want to talk about this book? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Briefly, because I haven't finished it yet. But oh. Okay. Um, the other uh, book I wanted to talk about today was is Devil House by John Darnielle. I mentioned earlier that I have gone to his event uh, that was held at the Wichita Public Library. Can I just say it is how wonderful it is to have in-person author events again. There's just something about being in a room with an author and hearing him read. It's just so amazing. It contributes to the reading experience. I think it broadens what you uh, know about a book and take from the book. It was great. Devil House is a genre that I would not normally read. It's sort of um, mystery slash horror, true crime. It's, there's a lot going on there. But what I find really, really interesting about this book, that the characters, again, and the writing style are unbelievable. He said he outlined it, and the structure is very deliberate, where the first and last portions are written in first person, the next two in are second person, the next two in are third person. So he does this onion skin. Yes, which is really, really impressive and cool. Um, I did notice the the change of point of view right away. When you start the second section, it's all of a sudden second person. And I was was about halfway through the book when I went to the event and I was going to ask him about that until he said, I had a very special structure in mind. I was like, well, there goes my question. Um, But the novel is Devil House by John Darnielle. Again, He's lead singer and amazing lyricist for the Mountain Goats, which is an indie rock band that sometimes performs, he says, in, in Lawrence most <laughs> often. Um, but also he really, really loved Wichita, and he you know, spoke highly of the town, and it was, um, it was just fantastic. I'm not quite through the novel yet, but I'm almost done. Um, but I am enjoying it tremendously. That's Devil House by John Darnielle. We were going to just talk a little bit about how we rate books if we rate books and if so how we rate them so that sort of five-star rating system the john green style um, goodreads style rating system i think the goodreads website like it or love it has led to just a lot of people sort of generally talking about book ratings don't you yeah i do think that a lot of people are giving things star ratings right and for me now you know it helps me to sort of i don't know i i like it I'm a book reviewer anyway, so I do like to sort of obviously reflect on the book right after I've read it. But what I've noticed the more years I've been doing this, and I've been on Goodreads and rating books for, gosh, at least six or seven years, if not eight, that sometimes my star ratings will change over time. Like I'll give something, you know, four stars because, you know, I think it's good, but, you know, it's not like one of my favorites. But then that book will stick with me for Mm. so long and I'll come to like – Months later, I'll still be thinking about it, and that sort of raises it. to. And I will go back and change a rating. Oh, good. Yeah. I have just a, a couple of examples of some things 
that will lead to a book being five stars for me. I took a look at my favorites shelf and sort of thought about what made those books five-star books for me. So one, uh, the first one for me is character. And my example for this is A Ladder to the Sky by John Boyne. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So characters for me do not have to be wonderful, heroic characters you can root for. Maurice Swift, the main character in John Boyne's A Ladder to the Sky, is one of the most despicable people you will ever meet in your literary lifetime. And he's unforgettable. Hmm. And for that reason, I just loved, loved, loved that book. Another factor in a five-star book for me is is sort of overall plot and pace. I'm thinking back to even just last year, one of my, f- my favorite book of the year was The Push by Ashley Audrain. And that's because it was just this unforgettable roller coaster thriller that, you know, I just could not, in that case, stop listening to. (laughs) Any kind of book that you just find yourself, like, unable to put down, I feel like that's a a five-star book for me, too. Mm -hmm. Are there things that, you know, for you, I know you don't really, do you really rate I do not. Even in your own mind, if not officially? Um, I don't, I don't think I can give star ratings. I mean, I can tell you what some of my favorite books have been and what made, like, I remember going to a class that I was enrolled in one night and I got there and I was with Sarah Bagby in the class, who was my boss at the time. I worked at Watermark and I said, I'm sorry, I have to leave. I have to go home. I have to keep going with this book. And so it was perfect. She understood completely. Yeah, she, of all people, should understand. Yes. So, I mean, if, if a book just sucks you in immediately and you you actually leave something you've signed up and paid money for so you can go back to it, I think that deserves a five star. And that one was um, Shadow of the Wind. I just had oh, to get back to it. Yes. Well, books about books, that, you know, gives, that's an extra star from me right, right away. <laughs> if it's a book about books, it gets an extra star. Even if it's a three-star, it bumps it up to a four. <laughs> now, the, to me, the trick, the real trick is five stars for me are, are almost no-brainers. You know, I get, if I get to the end of a book and, you know, I close the cover and I do the sigh and, you know, A.J. Fickery, I'm thinking of books like um, Atonement by Ian McEwan, oh, which yeah. took me a long time to get into but was so rewarding at the end. Um, books like A Gentleman in Moscow or Beautiful Ruins by Jess Walter, mm-hmm. just these beautiful stories and to me a good ending is you know a good memorable or even surprising ending is you know really bumps it up on my star rating as well but the five stars are easy it's those is it you know is it three or four stars that's where it gets a little tricky and almost meaningless really isn't it I mean (laughs) in a way you know books should either be just one or five it's like would I recommend this to someone or not, although that's tricky, too, because there are different people. Who right. Uh, but, you know, I going back to when I was a bookseller, that was something as well. I remember reading Christopher Jansma, The Unchangeable Spots of Leopards. And I was only three chapters in, but I started emailing all of the people who I knew shared a similar reading sensibility with myself. And I said, I'm ordering this book for you. You know, when it comes in, you don't have to buy it. I'm three chapters in. If it ends up disappointing me, I'll cancel the order. I just want you to know I'm ordering this book for you. And I did that to like 40 people. And I I think only two people didn't like it. Oh, I just love that. And I had that same experience with a bookseller. A Place for Us by Fatima Farhan Mirza was one of my favorite books of the past several years. This bookseller and I at uh, the Wichita Independent Bookstore just like really, really gelled over that novel. So every time she 
finds a book that's sort of like that, she'll let me know. So I love that too. And the other one I just wanted to point out too is nonfiction is really tricky in this way. But to me, a book that makes you think and that teaches you something that you did not know, of course, all of nonfiction kind of does that, but something that's incredibly memorable. And I'm thinking of How the Word is Passed by Clint Smith, which I just read recently. And then the other one is just sort of an interesting structure or writing style that's a little bit different. And uh, for that, I have Encyclopedia of an Ordinary Life uh, by Amy Krauss Rosenthal. Oh. That is, it. you know, one of our categories for Read ICT this year is a reread a favorite book, category seven. And I think that's going to be mine because I just remember just loving the way that was structured like an encyclopedia with these little vignettes of her observations on everyday life. And I just love, love, love that. And I remember, again, getting to the end of that book going, wow, that was, you know, that was really something different and memorable. So yeah. anyway, that's kind of what goes through my mind. When I'm well, and I, I think it's tricky. I don't feel good about giving books star ratings because I interview the authors. How can I give like a book a two <laughs> and fake it during an interview? I can't. Yeah, that's I can't. Just, I just don't tricky. think it's fair. No. You are a book reviewer. You are a critic. You're allowed. I'm allowed to hurt feelings. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I remember interviewing. Um, so tell me about your two star book. <laughs> I didn't like it, but you go ahead. When I interviewed Charles Finch for a book that he wrote, I think it was The Woman in the Water. But I also talked to him because he's a book reviewer. He's a critic. And he had just been awarded the Nona Balakian Citation for Excellence in Reviewing by the National Book Critic Circle at the time. And so I got to ask him about how he can write bad reviews and things like that. And I found his answer fascinating. And I want you to listen to this. I listened to a conversation that you had in 2016 with Pamela Paul in, oh, sure. on the Inside the New York Times Book Review podcast. And I really want that to be named Behind the Times. I don't know why. <laughs> but then they would sound like they were behind the times. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Ahead of the times, maybe? or I don't know, but that doesn't work either. You're right. <laughs> we'll leave it the way it Let's is. Let's keep they... brainstorming, and then they'll definitely <laughs> listen to us. <laughs> Um, if I remember right, she was asking you how you decide which books to review, and you told her you'd rather write something positive than negative. And I think you said you read early chapters. Do you just abandon them then if you don't feel like you're going to be able to write something positive? That's a good question. I No, I, know, I think a, a reviewer, it's really important to reserve the right to write a negative review. And sometimes I'm just assigned a book, and it's not good, and I give it a very bad review. Um, I think when you do that, you have to venture... 85% into the writer's territory. You have to be absolutely sure that you know what's going on in their head and what they were trying to achieve before you give a bad review. And once you know, you can write a really negative review. I've done it. But um, I would always rather advocate on behalf of something I love than slam something I dislike. Um, and I prefer both of those to being neutral because sometimes you get a book and you're like, well, this was okay. But for instance, last year, I really loved this book, Improvement, by Joan Silber, which was released by an independent press. And I wrote a really strongly favorable review of it for the Washington Post. And I think it gave the book a jolt. It's now being nominated for prizes, and it's gone into further printings, I believe. And that's the best feeling you can have as a critic. I think that's what I meant, is when you're um, speaking on behalf of something that maybe doesn't have enough attention behind it. So I do feel like you have to... You have to make sure you understand the author's intent before you do any bashing. I do agree with him there. But at the same time, 
if I'm just even remotely entertained, I like the book. Yeah, I love that too. I mean, I do hope that anyone who like takes a look at my Goodreads, you know, profile or, you know, my star ratings definitely should keep in mind that all readers are different. Yeah. And what's a, you know, three star book for me could be a five for you and vice versa. You know, I think that, yeah, that's definitely something to keep in mind. And it's, that's the great thing about reading, isn't it? I mean, right. We all bring something different. We all want something different, you know, from books. So, And we're at different places in our lives when we read things as well. I mean, I'm afraid of going back and rereading some books because they won't hold up. Oh, I, me too. The that book is doesn't huge... change, but I do. Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I just heard someone talk about A Catcher in the Rye being mm-hmm. um, her favorite novel because she read it as a teenager and really identified with Holden. She said she reread it a couple of times through her life and still love, love, loved it. But the last time she read it, she realized she wasn't in that place anymore. Yeah. And she just sort of has grown past Holden and she didn't need that anymore. And it wasn't it was almost sad. But at the same time, it was just that realization that, yes, it is. You know, they do you know, serve a purpose for this. And that's why I think that mood reading is a good thing. I think that you need to, you know, it's OK to pick up a book. Just because you, this seems like the book for me right now, and it might not be the book for me, you know, five years ago or five years from now. Well, I guess that seems like a good place to stop, Beth. I agree. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for Books and Whatnot. Until next time. Keep turning those pages. Bye-bye. Bye. Books and Whatnot is a production of KMUW Wichita. Our team of engineers, producers, editors, and hosts are Mark Stancer, Torin Anderson, Haley Krausen, Jonathan Huber, Luann Stevens, Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Suzanne Perez. You can reach us by email sent to podcasts at kmuw.org, on Twitter at Books and Whatnot, and on Instagram, books underscore and underscore whatnot. Find more conversations and a list of books discussed in this episode at kmuw.org.